Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is a podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today, we're going to talk about Daryl Dawkins, one of the most outrageous characters in NBA history. He was also known as Dr. Duncanstein, Double D, or Sir Slam. But his most famous nickname was actually given to him by Stevie Wonder. And that nickname is Chocolate Thunder. I would argue that Dawkins' cultural impact was greater than his basketball impact. Just to show how big he was, back in 1999, as the millennium was ending, Saturday Night Live was doing a weekend update segment where they were naming their man of the millennium. Now, this was supposed to be the most impactful person of the previous 1,000 years. They could have selected Leonardo da Vinci, Mozart, Einstein, Galileo, or George Washington. But no, being a bunch of comedians, the folks at Saturday Night Live announced that their selection for the man of the millennium was none other than Daryl Dawkins. You see, for that joke to work, people have to know who Dawkins is or Chocolate Thunder, as he is uh, more commonly known. So what made him so famous? Why are we even talking about him? He never made an All-Star game. His best scoring season was in 1985 when he averaged 16 points a game for the lowly New Jersey Nets. Other than that, he had a very average NBA career. Well, he's famous because of two dunks in late 1979. And we'll talk about those in a moment. But first, let me give you some history on Chocolate Thunder. He was born and raised in Orlando, Florida. He attended Maynard Evans High School in the early 1970s and was absolutely destroying the high school scene in Florida. Of course, this is true of nearly every NBA player when they were in high school. He averaged 32 points a game and 21 rebounds as a senior. He was also six foot 11 inches tall and had already filled out at around 230 pounds. He was on everybody's recruiting list. The guy was a monster on the court. His final choices for college were Kentucky, Kansas, and Florida State. But in a move that shocked everybody, he decided to declare for the NBA draft. He said it was because he wanted to take care of his family financially, and you can't blame him for that. But to go from high school directly to the NBA, well, nobody had ever done that before. There was no precedent for this. Surely, a 19-year-old is not ready to walk into a grown man's world, no matter how big and athletic he is. Remember, this is 1975. This is decades before Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady, or LeBron James 
would make coming out of high school seem like a normal thing. He was taken with the fifth overall pick by the Philadelphia 76ers. And with that, he became the answer to a trivia question. Who was the first player to enter the NBA straight from high school? I know, some of you might say that Will Chamberlain was the first player drafted out of high school, and you would be right, except that he did not go straight to the NBA. He went to college first and joined the NBA four years later. Some of you might say that Moses Malone was drafted out of high school a year before Dawkins, and that is also true, except that Malone went straight to the ABA, which at the time was still a completely separate league. Now others of you might say that Bill Willoughby was drafted out of high school the same year that Dawkins was in 1975, and that is also true. But Willoughby was drafted in the second round, after Dawkins. So Dawkins is the first player to enter the NBA straight from high school. He only averaged two points a game his rookie year coming off the bench, but he slowly increased his minutes and production each of his first seven years in the league. Once he became a regular starter, the home announcer in Philadelphia was in a bit of a dilemma. You see, when starters are announced in the NBA, they include which university the player came from. But Dawkins didn't have a university. Today that's no big deal, because guys like LeBron are announced as being from their high school. But when you're the first person to do something, like Dawkins, you have to get creative. So he convinced the announcer in Philadelphia to say that Dawkins was from the planet Lovetron, where in the offseason, he would engage in interplanetary funkmanship. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. But the one thing he could always do from the beginning was to dunk with such ferocity that he left the backboard shaking after each one. If you really want to see him in action, go to YouTube and search for Chocolate Thunder Dunking. There you will see several highlight clips. So getting back to my original question, what made Dawkins so famous? As I mentioned, it was just two dunks. The first one was on November 13, 1979 in the Municipal Auditorium which was home to the Kansas City Kings. Dawkins was still playing for Philadelphia and he went up for a ferocious dunk against Bill Robenzine and shattered the glass backboard. Pieces of glass rained down on the court, players are scattering in every direction to get away, the crowd couldn't believe it. That was the hardest dunk anyone had ever seen at the time. The rim was just sitting there on the floor with pieces of glass all around it. It took the arena crew over an hour to clean everything up and bring out a whole new basket support. Dawkins also had a penchant for naming his most memorable dunks. He used to have the rim wrecker, the lookout below, the in your face disgrace, the yo mama, and the spine chiller supreme. And on the occasion that he went coast to coast for a dunk, well those were called the Greyhound specials. But on this night, when he shattered the backboard for the first time, he had a special name in mind, and he included the name of the man he dunked on. This dunk was called Chocolate Thunder Flyin', Robinzine Cryin', Teeth Shakin', Glass Breakin', Rump Roastin', Bun Toastin', Wham Bam, Glass Breaker, I Am Jam. For weeks, it was the only thing that basketball writers could talk about. Well, probably not the only thing. There were also two rookies tearing up the league at the same time by the names of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. 
But otherwise, this story got a lot of ink. The commissioner at the time was Larry O'Brien. Now his name might ring a bell because the NBA's championship trophy is called the Larry O'Brien Trophy. But the real Larry O'Brien was not happy with Dawkins. He called Dawkins into his office in New York to tell him in no uncertain terms that he was never to break the backboard again or else he would be fined and suspended. They actually put in a rule to prevent anyone else in the league from getting the same idea. But the fans in Philadelphia were begging to see the backboard shattered in a home game because that first one was done in Kansas City. So just three weeks later, at home in the Spectrum against the San Antonio Spurs, Dawkins does it again. He went up for the dunk and Doug Collins, his point guard, was already running away before the dunk was even completed. He saw the look in Dawkins' eyes as he brought the ball behind his head with both hands and he knew what was coming. You could just see it in the windup and Collins did not want to pick glass out of his hair. So once again, the game was delayed for over an hour as the arena crew had to completely replace the entire basket support. As promised, Dawkins was fined and suspended, but the fans couldn't get enough of it. They cheered at the sight of the rim sitting on the court. The commissioner realized that the rule may not be enough to stop players from doing this in the future. Something needed to be done with the actual equipment. The rim and the backboard needed some beefing up. It needed to become Dawkins proof. In a completely separate story, a guy named Arthur Erat and his nephew, who was an assistant coach at St. Louis University, had an idea for a breakaway rim that could handle all of the hard dunking that you saw in the ABA and NBA. They had been working on it for a few years and the breakaway rims made their debut at the 1978 Final Four. These new rims had a spring and a hinge in them so that when someone dunks really hard, the rim bends from the force of the dunk and then snaps back into position as soon as the player lets go. The bending motion is what keeps the backboard from shattering. The spring absorbs most of the force and not the backboard. You may not think about it much today, but the breakaway rim exists because of guys like Daryl Dawkins. Anybody who causes a rule change or causes the league to install new equipment is a noteworthy player. And Dawkins is definitely a noteworthy player. His two ferocious dunks in 1979 caused the league to switch over. The NBA had completely switched to the new rims by the fall of 1981, and now they are standard across the world at the professional and collegiate levels. Unfortunately for Dawkins, he wasn't able to stick around with the 76ers to win a championship. The team had been to the NBA Finals three times while Dawkins played on the team, and the team, of course, was led by Dr. J back then. They lost the finals in 1977 to the Trailblazers, then they lost again in 1980 to the Lakers, and in 1982 they lost to the Lakers again. Then the team had an opportunity to upgrade at the center position. The Houston Rockets were looking to move the reigning league MVP Moses Malone, and Philadelphia had a chance to get them. So they traded Dawkins to the New Jersey Nets in order to create salary space to go after Malone, which they did. The following year, the 76ers would celebrate their first championship since Will Chamberlain won it back in 1967. 
Dawkins would end up playing five years for the Nets before playing just a handful of games for the Jazz and the Pistons. And then he went on to play for a number of years in Italy, where he was a very popular player. He then tried to make an NBA comeback, and he went to training camp with the Orlando Magic. But he didn't make the team. He tried again with the Celtics, and he didn't make that team either. He then played a little bit of minor league basketball in leagues that don't even exist anymore. In 2009, he was named head coach of Lehigh Carbon Community College in Pennsylvania. He would coach there for five years before dying of a heart attack in 2015 at the age of just 58. But his mark on the NBA is unmistakable. And seriously, go to YouTube and search for Daryl Dawkins or Chocolate Thunder if you want to see some of his amazing dunks. I'll include a link in the show notes to make it a little bit easier for you to find. And this is why we do this podcast, to shine a light on forgotten stories that need to be remembered and enjoyed. So join us next time as we answer the question, what does fashionable footwear from 100 years ago have to do with playing basketball? That's next time on Basketball History 101. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us next time as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.